I just want to start off by um, saying that I can't believe that Stuart Baker has made a terrible error by walking into Brownswood with two copies of the Detroit Jazz Composers Limited LP Hastings Jazz Experience. I didn't think that there was another copy, but you've bought two. I don't think you meant to, did you? Did you realise I didn't? Did, did you realise I don't have a copy? I didn't realise I bought two copies. Yeah. <laughs> it's a serious <laughs> error of judgment. Stuart, it's good to see you. Um, I think we're. Um, it's brilliant that you've spoken to me and we've spoken to each other and we've basically, well you've come up with this fabulous book Freedom, Rhythm and Sounds which um, I've been only too happy to to partake in with you um, I've done a few interviews actually people seem interested in it, I don't know what it is but people seem, you know I mean anyway, tell us actually maybe let's start off with how we first met because it was during Dingwall's days right? Yeah, we, were, we, we met about 20 years ago uh, and I had a record shop that was above a club that you were DJing at, mm. and um, we used to sell the same records that we would hear a record playing downstairs coming through the floor, and find the record and sell it. Was it as blatant as that? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, we used to we used to travel to America. We used to close the shop for a couple of weeks, travel to America, mm. buy lots of records, bring them back. Yeah. Uh, and it was a very exciting period. Yeah, good times. Um, and then the shop moved to Engestre Place? Yes, that's, yeah, we moved to Soho about, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, mm. uh, and started a record label. And that was a good shop because it had ghosts in the basement. It was quite a good shop, yes. It yes. did have ghosts, didn't it? it? Uh, Apparently there was words that the ghosts came out on Saturdays. It was actually a rat. <laughs> well, how? But but what you were saying about the book is essentially, is isn't it funny how people outside of people appear to be interested in this music, which is quite funny because it's music that essentially you, me, and possibly not a handful, but a very small amount of people have sort of fetishized over the last twenty years without necessarily thinking whether anyone else would be interested. Yeah, and we've built up nice little collections and big enough collections to be able to pull out some of the better sleeves on this book. Hopefully. Freedom, Rhythm and Sounds. I came into the, the new sh store, which has been there for a few years now, and I uh, went up to your office upstairs and uh, you said you were doing this book and um, basically it was pretty quick from the moment that we spoke to it being printed and being in store now, really. A couple of months, three months? Mm. Was it longer? A bit longer, six months or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun because it's, I mean, you know, uh, we've been making records, soldiers have been making records for a long time, and it's sort of a similar process. So, you know, once we had the idea, it's, uh, as you say, it's relatively easy to switch uh, mediums. And one of the other things which I think the timing of this book seems to have worked well within is the fact that there is this sort of move to digital over the last few years and the 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 kind of the death of the vinyl as such um, and I think this book really celebrates the art of the independent record labels very much a part of what is very sort of seductive about collecting records in the first place and actually looking at the book and the sleeves, it's making me want to listen to the records again, mm -hmm. strangely enough. I think, there's, I think there's two things that are interesting about it. I think one is, as you say, it's the... which is one of the reasons why we, why I wanted to start making books, because the, the actual physical aspect of a record is something that um, has kind of, is, you know, it's clearly disappearing, so it's nice to show people what it was all about. Um, but second to that, I think the possibly more why people are interested is since the <coughs> election of the American president, uh, it sort of caused a reassessment of what it means to be African American, uh, and so people who are dealing with those issues uh, are suddenly seem much more relevant than it did five years ago. 
Now we're going to be doing an event um, in November at Cafe Otto, which is going to feature Steve Reed, who's um, pretty well featured on the book. In fact, the front cover of the book is a Steve Reed sleeve, and uh, it'll be good to talk to him about this. He seems really happy about this book, doesn't he? He's yes, he's very pleased. I think it's um, you know it's 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 a, a, a bringing together of something that he's spent his whole life doing. Uh, you know, as a part of a, a movement of people, and it's nice to see that. Mm. Okay, we're going to play some records out of your box because there's a lot of records, a lot of sleeves on here that I don't know the sounds of, and I'm really, I'm really curious. So you've brought a load of stuff. I think we're going to focus on your record collection for this session. We're playing um, some something brilliant right now, right? This is Oliver Lake, and it's called Africa.
pleasure unfair. When it might just be time for you to pass on through. Trying to take up a permanent interest in this place. Well,
this kind of says it all when it comes to sort of music representing the majority of the book in a way, I think. Um, music from Harris Tap Tap Scott, the album The Call. I think this is one that got reissued actually. You could, this isn't too hard to, to find, is it? Is it? Um. Is it difficult? Well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, because he only he's only died recently. Yeah, a lot of his stuff was still in. You know, you could get it on CD. There's a really good live album as well um, of Horace Tapscott. Um, stuff that we're taking off the Freedom Rhythm and Sound, the book which um, has been compiled with love by Stuart Baker and myself. Um, Revolutionary Jazz original cover art, 1965 to 1983, nice and specific. Could it have been 64 to 84? No, I don't think so. 65 is John Coltrane's Love Supreme and Ascension, of which everything seems to follow. And it's also a certain period in civil rights. Uh, you've got the if you want, <laughs> you've got the printing of the uh, autobiography of Malcolm X, who's who had just been assassinated, and I think there was a change in the dynamic of um, American society at that second. Well, I'm beginning to wonder whether you've actually made the right um, comment here, because 1965 is where we're meant to be starting in this book, but I have just noticed there is a sleeve from 1964, <laughs> which is the Pharaoh Sanders one, although it wasn't well, actually released in 60, it was 64, it was uh, made in 64. It, and it was recorded in 64, yes. actually. <laughs> I'm just testing you out. Um, okay, and um, all music which we're playing is coming out of Stuart's bag, which is always a, a pleasure, um, because there's just so much brilliant stuff. On your travels, you've You've picked up so much stuff. I mean, it was really in your shop that I, I got hold of. Um, I discovered like labels like Tribe, used to get a lot of that stuff, and uh, and the um, Ha You percussion ensemble. That was one of yours, I think. Was it? Was, was that from no, your that shop? No, that was a record that I I wanted. Did I have that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or maybe that was. Hmm. But maybe I got it from your shop without you realizing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was good because we, we you could travel. You know. This was a long time ago when you travelled to America and you could buy records and it wasn't, you know, these records weren't soul records and they weren't sort of uh, the jazz records that was established jazz. So these records were essentially sitting around yeah. and no one knew what they were or wanted them. So, you know, it was, a, it was, it was good fun to, um, you know, you could, it was like going to a sweet shop really. Did... Uh the locality kind of have an effect. I get the feeling when you get deeper in this sort of independent jazz, some of the music and artists sort of didn't even go much beyond Detroit or much beyond Chicago. So did you find that when you were traveling and buying records, did you find that certain cities would have really big amounts of certain types of records that uh, you wouldn't find in other I would cities? say with hindsight that that is true. And as you say, if you went to Detroit, you could find Tribe Records or Strata Records. If you went to Chicago, if you, there's a record shop still there actually, but um, on the south side of Chicago, there was a very big um, black American, sort of not enclave, but area where they, this is the most musical place you could imagine. And you would find, you know, I would find records there that you would never ever see anywhere else in the world, you know, anywhere else in America, let alone in the world. Um, it's like they, they weren't closed, but they, as you say, they never, Left their community, uh, and that was the point. Of the, you know, that was the point of these records that they were essentially you would have bought them if you had seen the person play live, or if you were a friend of theirs, or if they were your uncle or something. So we played music from Gary Bartz um, in that Bartz. section. We had um, Ferran Aklaf, mm -hmm. which uh, is a great sleeve, um, House of Spirit, and we played uh, a little bit of the um, the drum track with a um, sort of poem um, afterwards then we played music from Gary Bartz and uh, the first track by Oliver Lake now you're going to be putting that record on a comp right there's a comp yes. which is a sort of music from the book type thing right that's right yeah and uh, you just told me that the Oliver Lake's going to be on there but I tell you what that is that is I had I didn't know that um, NTU is that the same NTU as Gary Bartz no, it's the same it's the same word but it's not the same group right I okay. think there's quite a few people used it but I think it's, you know, Oliver Lake sums up um, what it was all about, really. You know, he was from the Black Artist Group in St. Louis, which, as you say, it was another very small community-led music co-op. And um, the, the record was recorded in 
71 but it didn't come out uh, for like five years later um, but yeah you know, it does nicely sums up what it was all about really yeah and there was a, a nice little drum track as well which uh, which is always hard to find when you're in a club because um, it's a good beat but there's about 20 tracks per side on this David Lee Jr. album Evolution and uh, you've got to find it um, but, it, it, <laughs> but you, you heard it right there okay um, let's keep going I want to keep hearing some great music this is another one which um, is different this is different this next one right very different What's this record got to do with Malcolm X or John Coltrane or the civil rights movement? Well, John How Coltrane, it? very spiritual. Yeah. The link with Eastern music. Um, 
the person is called Ed, Edward Larry Gordon, and he, you know, he was in jazz punk bands, um, and he he was also known as a person called Larry G. He shortened his name, and he met um, one day he met this, he met Brian Eno in a park. He was playing in a park, and Brian Eno said, "Would you like to make a record?" Uh, and he did, and he became this person called Laraji, which is obviously a pun on Larry G. Um, and he made a series of ambient records on Brian Eno's label. And he's, he, these records are only for meditation, really. Um, and he's currently, you know, he still does the same thing. And he's a laughing instructor. It's his job at the moment, so I'm quite sure what he does, but that's what he does. He's a laughing instructor. Yeah, he's like, like, like a laughing therapist. And how did you get that info? Um, how because did you if find you speak out? to him, he's always laughing. No, because I, I, I just know. I don't know how I know it. That's the kind of depth that we get into <laughs> <laughs> in the book. I love it. I want to hear a bit more. We, by the way, we are all sitting cross-legged <laughs> in the studio. Except you.
We're just uh, finishing off with a couple of absolute corkers. Really great music. I can't remember what we played now, but there was some absolutely terrific stuff there, wasn't there? I mean, that one just now apparently was a little bit of an inspiration, or maybe it wasn't, but uh, the Gene Siegel Orchestra, Chris Bowden around... Because, of course, you put out the first Chris Bowden album on, on Soul Jazz. Mm-hmm. That's a long time ago. That was a long time ago, but, you know, no, it was... Uh, Let's put the microphone up a little bit. We're nearly finished on the show today. It's been really great. I've really enjoyed... I mean, it's just so good to hear such great tunes. I mean, even some stuff that I've got that I haven't necessarily listened to um, for years, like Space and Over, this one. The the Stanton Davis Ghetto Mysticism, which you um, which you reminded us all of, Space and Over, and uh, the, the um, Hastings Street Jazz Experience. Which you have two copies. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to have a fight about that afterwards. I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't realise there was another really good track on it because you've got to big up Jazzman because they put out a great compilation LP um, a couple of years ago of, uh, of this type of music and there was a there was a track um, there was one of the tracks off this LP but not the one that you chose which was called Yes Lord from Detroit from 1976. Um, have I missed anything? No, that was it. I think that was it, wasn't it? In a way, this type of music is this collectability as well. I mean, I think what we've proven here, actually, is that the music is also as good as the artwork. And that was one of the key factors in the book, wasn't it? That we didn't want to just put out nice bits of art with crap tracks on them. I'd say, essentially, if if it's got a good cover, it's normally a good record. Although there's some bad covers here with good music. Yeah, bad covers. They're the best ones. (laughs) No, they are, aren't they? Because when you go through the racks and you go, no way. Maybe that could be another book. Yeah, <laughs> easy. Um, but in a way, this because the other reason that I think that we we ended up, or that I got really excited when we were talking about this uh, six months ago, whatever, was because of the reggae book that you've done and all the work you've done with Studio One, etc. And in a way, there's a bit of a parallel. Do you find with sort of collecting roots reggae and sort of that type of sound to collecting this kind of jazz? I'm fine. I mean, um, I wouldn't say it in terms of collecting, but I'd say in terms of people making you know not root music for for different reason you know it's um i can't really explain it but yeah they're connected in the same way that it's connected to punk the same way it's connected to uh techno you know they're they're not street music but it's um and not real music but it's something that connects all yes yeah, so somehow it's super collectible for me it's kind of like if you can get some of those original i don't know Dennis Brown dub plates or something, you know, to me that will always be worthwhile. Whereas some forms of music may date quicker or they might become less interesting. I just think something like this type of jazz, it is to me like collecting art. Well, some music is market-led, which would be, for instance, you know, a Blue Note or a Prestige 60s soul jazz record was market-led. It was for a market, whereas this isn't market-led, and market-led music dates, and non-market-led music doesn't date. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Would be my analysis. Brilliant, that's a great (laughs) analysis. Right, okay, let's finish off. Now, what's your favourite sleeve? Is there one track, I've got to ask you, because everyone's been asking me this one, but is there one that that in the book that you particularly... Um, I like the High You Percussion Group sleeve, and Mm. I also like the record. Um, I like the record because it was one of the first ones I heard that I... So where the hell is this record coming from? Can I just say one thing about that record before it got re-released on yeah, Ubiquity? Yeah. I had one of my worst ever DJ dramas with that record because Can I, I just had... say I saw it. Did you see it? <laughs> you dropped it. You were were you there? Yeah. Where were it was a Dingles. It was ages ago. I dropped yeah. the record, the vinyl. This was a super rare record, uh-huh. and it's uh, well back well, still is now probably. But I was DJing at Dingles, uh-huh. and literally, you know, when you just sort of throw your records in and and then you throw them out or whatever, it slipped out, dropped on the floor at an angle. I think on the angle of the step, that bit, the little metal kind of bridge bit, and it snapped. I did, I, not, it didn't actually snap in two. It just took a piece of the of the the, the best track, yeah. the, the club track, which was track one. So it wasn't like it's almost like God. 
You're sending your message. <laughs> that was a bad moment. Okay, that's yours. My favourite record, which well, it's not my favourite, but the one I thought was really good sort of timing for this album, because obviously we were, we were talking about this record a lot before, um, the book, I mean, before we, we, we um, finally went to the Princes, and there was one kind of piece missing in a way, which was John Coltrane. And the day before we were meant to more or less deliver everything close to that point, um, I was at Gerald's place in Jazzman Gerald's warehouse in West London, and I was doing what I do, buying a few bits and bobs from him. And uh, and then as I was leaving, I looked up on the wall and he had loads of sleeves, as you do, um, nicely um, framed and decorating his, his warehouse. And one of them was Cosmic Music, John Coltrane, Alice Coltrane. I was like, I've never seen that before. And it kind of ticked every box of this mm. book. And I then had to ask him the big question, have you got a spare one? <laughs> a bit like the Hastings Jazz Ensemble. And I said, and he said, yeah, yeah. I said, I said, I said well, let me check, make sure I've got one. So he went in the other special room that he's got and he pulled one out. He says, listen, I, I, you can have one. You can have the one that's least damaged, although this one's hardly damaged either. I mean, they're both in good condition. And he, and he gave it to He sold it to me. But um, and it's got everything it needs. It's got the gatefold. It's got the pyramids. It's got the stars. It's got it's got the DIYness of it. It's kind of lo-fi. Uh, well, you know, I agree. The John Coltrane should. You know, it's hard because you're trying to. The book is about independent music, and John Coltrane obviously was not because he was on impulse. But this one record was one that he made on his own. So it it's. It is quite fitting, yes. It was meant to be. Yes. Stuart, thanks, mate. Well, thank you very much. Always it's a pleasure. Well, yeah, I think we might have to do a part two on this one. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Well, we've got another book to do, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Thank you. 